Our learning objective is to describe phenomena associated with behavioral finance and explain the implications of these phenomena for a financial planner. Modern portfolio theory is built on the concept of the economic man, that we all behave rationally as we seek to maximize our expected return relative to our optimal amount of risk. In truth, people have built-in irrationalities that will affect their decision-making and planners need to understand these irrationalities and how they might uh, help people overcome them to make better investment decisions. Some examples of irrationalities is that we seek to see patterns. My own personal feeling is that this is probably something from long ago where the most successful hunters were the ones who were able to see patterns in animal behavior. So if you could figure the animals came to the water hole at a certain time of day, you could focus your hunting around that time of day. So people who saw patterns that actually existed were then able to be more successful in their survival than those who were not able to see the patterns. Well, I think that has carried over and we are always looking to see patterns uh, to try and make uh, our decision making easier and invariably we think we see patterns even when they don't exist. We find that people want to believe in causation. It's very difficult for us to accept the fact that um, the uh, events, that so many events in life are purely random. They're not necessarily because we did something or because someone else did something. Uh, they're just truly random. Investors, for example, think that if they've bought a stock and it went down, it was because they bought the stock that it went down. Not that they bought a stock, it looked like a good investment, something went wrong and it happened to go down. Our first assumption is always to extrapolate, even when unrealistic. So, if the stock market went up 30% last year, and people start thinking about investment decisions this year, what do they think about return? By golly, they're going to think, I should get a 30% rate of return. There's just simply extrapolating last year's return. You can find situations where uh, if you extrapolate recent uh, trends far enough into the future, you could end up with some silly scenarios such as a company's sales exceeding the total value of the economy. And so uh, it's very important to keep people grounded in the fact that no matter how attractive or unattractive the recent trend has been, uh, always extrapolating that is probably not the best way to approach uh, the analysis. We all have hindsight of bias. That means that after an event, 
people believe they would have been able to predict the results if they had needed to. So it's amazing, the day after the World Series is over, how many people felt that, you know, I, I knew this year the Giants were going to win the World Series. Well, you know, if you looked at the odds prior to uh, the World Series being played, or even the playoff series, uh, the Giants were not really rated that highly to, to take it all. But once it's all over, everybody's confident that they had they really thought about it, they would have known, and as a result, they're much more comfortable in their ability to predict going forward. We, we believe in the law of small numbers. Now, this is a play on a uh, theorem in statistics uh, referred to as the law of large numbers. And the law of large numbers says, look, if you take a sample that is large enough, you can reasonably estimate uh, the characteristics of the population. So, if you have a jar of a thousand uh, little beads in them, some are black and some are white, if you take a large enough sample, you can reasonably guess the percentage that are black and the percentage that are white. Well, what people tend to do in practice is, even if they rationally understand the law of large numbers, they act as if the law of small numbers is true which means that we are willing to extrapolate based on a small number of observations. Again, uh, people might look at how a stock did over the last two or three years and say that's reasonable to uh, use as a, an estimation of how the stock will do in the ongoing future. Framing uh, is a concept that is also uh, intuitive to us. Framing is, uh, is the manner in which an issue is presented. For example, when people are presented with alternative asset allocations, most people will choose the one in the middle. So, if you give a client a choice let's say they could put 90% of their money into stocks and 10% into bonds, 80% into stock and 20% into bonds, or 70% into stock and 30% in bonds. Invariably, they will end up with the middle choice, 80% stock, 20% bonds. And so from a financial planner's perspective, if you have a feeling as to what is the correct asset allocation, but you want to, want to give the client some choices with different expected returns and different measures of risk, then make sure that you make the choice that you want the client to pick the middle in terms of some risk return trade-off criteria. Another example of framing is we think about gains and losses as being measured relative to the size of the investment. And so we feel much worse about a $20 loss on a $100 investment than we do about a $1,000 loss on a $10,000 investment. Because a $20 loss on a $100 investment is a 20% loss, 
and a $1,000 loss on a $10,000 investment is only a 10% loss, and so we, we can tolerate a 10% loss much better than a 20% loss. So people focus erroneously on um, the, uh, the, the size of gains and losses relative to the investment and not the actual nominal value. Very often, clients will take what, what I call the one over n approach to security selection. If you give a client the choice of, say, five securities to invest in, invariably they will end up uh, allocating 20% of their money to each investment. That is, one-fifth of their money goes to each investment. And so when faced with uh, the, the uncertainty of making asset allocations, the intuitive approach is let's just spread it evenly across whatever all of the choices are. People also engage in mental accounting, which means they tend to keep money in the account in which it was earned and invest according to the risk objective of that account. So they lose the perspective of the overall portfolio and tend to treat each uh, investment plan as completely independent of the others. Let's consider some true-false questions. It is difficult for people to see patterns, which means when we see them in stock prices, they clearly signal something. Well, that one's false on, in effect, both accounts. It's not difficult to see patterns. People are always seeing patterns. And just because you see a pattern does not mean that uh, the pattern is significant in any way. Clients invest more when they are given more choices. Well, that one's false. The more choices a client has, the more likely they are to end up with analysis paralysis. So, for example, uh, when companies are creating pension plans for uh, employees, if they go to the employees and say, here's a hundred different funds that you can choose to invest your money in, then uh, employees are more likely to freeze up than if the company rolls out the pension plan and says, here are three funds in which you can put your money and you can allocate them uh, your money as you see fit. Uh, the company will end up with a much higher employee participation in the plan when there are fewer choices that the employee has to make. 